Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from my home in the greater Chicago area. In this special episode of IRI Growth Insights, we're discussing COVID-19 and its impact on the CPG and retail industries. For daily updates on consumer reaction, real-time data on product categories, as well as insights and implications to the CPG retail industry, I encourage you to visit IRIWorldwide.com to see the IRI COVID-19 dashboard powered by IRI Liquid Data. At the same location, you'll find a number of COVID-19 reports that provide valuable information across countries, categories, and channels. Welcome to another episode of IRI's Growth Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, and today we're talking about COVID-19's impact on CPG retail transformation. With the outset of COVID-19, we saw nearly all the food dollar transition to the home. That impact on CPG retail has been tremendous as retailers initially just scrambled to get product on the shelves. And frankly, I'm guessing that there are a lot of people out there who will be working through their toilet paper and boxed pasta for some time to come. But as we move to our next normal, we see other shifts occurring in retail, including where we shop, both in stores and online, how we make and receive our purchases, and what we're buying. Today, I'm joined again by Sally Lyons-Wyatt, IRI's Executive Vice President and Practice Leader, and a new guest to IRI's Growth Insights Podcast, Korean Thomas, the IRI's Retail Chief Operating Officer, North America, who leads the services IRI provides our, our retail clients. Now, I know that Korean likes to be in store, and that's been a little challenging during this pandemic, so he's having to get his steps in somewhere else, but I know that through his work, he really does keep his connection with CPG Retail going strong. So today, we're going to learn how retailers and manufacturers are addressing this growth and some of the strategies for moving forward. So thank you both for being here. Um, So Sally, last week you hosted the webinar, Charting the Course for Continued Center Store Growth. And for listeners, that webinar is available at iriworldwide.com, and you can download it at any time. Um, But there was a section in that webinar that focused on the transformation of retail during and post-COVID-19. So we've all seen the changes at retail um, that I think are going to be with us for the long term, including some new cleaning protocols, um, things like plexiglass barriers, but then also things like contactless payments and curbside pickup. Another impact has been the accelerated adoption of e-commerce. So Sally, let's start with what we know about that dramatic uptick in online shopping from like the consumer's perspective. And thanks, Joan, and thanks for the warm welcome, too. Uh, there really has been, and it's been written about, We've uh, many of us in the industry have talked about, there was a clear adoption, and we witnessed e-commerce trending higher than even brick and mortar across all of the time periods since early March. And that actually has continued into June. As states have been opening up and people can get out of their home, we've still seen consumers getting online to do some of their shopping. 
Um, I mean, I myself, there were there were times where I would get on and I had been an adopter of Eat Online before. I used to travel every week. I don't get to do that now. But I would always get online and I would place my orders um, if I weren't able to get into a store. And those experiences when I was doing it before COVID were actually pretty good. You know, I could get the time slot that I wanted. They had whatever product I was ordering. Um, but what we have found is that during COVID, not all the experience online were positive for consumers. Um, in fact, 62% of consumers stated that some items they wanted weren't available to order online. And 48% of consumers actually stated that items they ordered were not delivered due to the availability changes, meaning they weren't in stock. So, um, Korean, I know there were a plethora of challenges for click and collect. Um, what, were you, what are you hearing from retailers? Uh, thanks, Sally. COVID-19 has been a real wake-up call for retailers on their e-commerce strategy and preparedness. Um, we saw e-commerce in food and beverage grow by 150 basis points or one and a half percentage of share points during COVID. That's worth about $673 million in a four-week period. It's a, lot, it's a lot of money, right? It's, it's a lot of sales. Uh, and in general, those retailers who had already invested in building e-commerce infrastructure and capabilities tended to do better. Everyone experienced the kind of challenges, Sally, that you were talking about in terms of staffing and delivery windows and not being able to deliver product to, uh, to consumers at, at the time they had committed. Uh, but those that were less prepared struggled more. And I we even saw some brick and mortar retailers shut down their nascent click and collect or e-commerce uh, operations to focus on the store because they could not deal with both at the same time. The other really interesting thing that has happened um, you know, during COVID is that even though the growth rates for e-commerce have been skyrocketing across the board for everyone, some retailers gained share in e-commerce or click and collect from other retailers. And for the first time, we're seeing a lot of retailers beginning to think about market share in e-commerce and market share across omni-channel or brick and mortar plus e-commerce. Um, and so for CPGs, one thing, you know, we, we expect and we are hearing already from our clients is when they're engaging with retailers and talking about omni-channel or, or e-commerce, expect to talk about market share, not just the sales growth, which has been traditionally what people have focused on. That's going to be a, that's a huge shift for an industry, you know, changing the conversation. And can you talk just a little bit about some of the anticipated investment you see companies making to kind of support this, this shift and maybe boost click and collect. Um, and I had one other question kind of associated with that because what you just said in terms of um, retailers kind of halting their, their click and collect just to deal with in-store, I had thought that some retailers were even kind of curbing some of their, like, I don't know, maybe using underperforming stores more for fulfillment to kind of support click and collect. So there's a couple things in there that I hope that you can keep talking about. 
Yeah. So that certainly did happen, you know, even prior to COVID, uh, some of the retailers had started to use some of their underperforming stores as more as fulfillment centers or create more space in those stores for as fulfillment centers. And we'll see more of that. Uh, You know, we'll see more stores, you know, completely taken over as fulfillment in order to get better at click and collect. I think we're going to see a lot more space, um, you know, and and um, space and capacity allocated to pick up from store, right? And and improvements in the infrastructure to support that through the supply chain. Um, go ahead. No, I really, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, we keep talking about click and collect, and I know there's home delivery, but in my view, I think click and collect is like the better option for both shoppers. And for the retailers, you know, shoppers kind of, they don't like those fees associated with home delivery. And unless you have like a a dedicated shopper, um, I just think the click and collect, you know, better timing, better, you know, your retailer a little bit better. Um, I feel it's a better option. Maybe that's... And just, yeah. And just anecdotally as a shopper, I remember... Uh, going to pick up a product uh, at one of uh, our our local retailers uh, that we had shipped to the store and we're going to pick it up. The line to get into the store was down all the way down the block. The line to go to the pickup window was just a couple people. Now, that may have changed since then. It may have been the time of day I went. But, you know, I I think that's some of the benefits shoppers experience. You you order your product, you just go pick it up, right? And and you can time that. That's awesome. So, a lot more excitement to come with e-commerce, but you know that's not the the total story. Um, total story. In fact, what I what we have observed is like grocery has also really been growing. Um, but so, Sally, can you talk a little bit about maybe what other channels are doing and what behavior looks like there? Sure, and um, you know you mentioned grocery, so grocery as well as Dollar and Club. In addition to online, so those four, Grocery Dollar Club and online, were really fan favorites um, during COVID-19. But what we also found pretty interesting is military had a nice boost as well. Um, It was very apparent that the military, when told to stay at home or stay close to the base, they did. And so that was pretty interesting. From a grocery perspective, they pretty much gained a lot of their share from convenience you know, convenience was negatively impacted when it was the shutdown and everybody was staying at home. Um, For the obvious reasons, people weren't necessarily on the go and therefore weren't going to convenience as often. They weren't weren't 100% shut down, however, so they did get some interim kind of quick trips, if you will, to fill in, especially for what we talked about when maybe you didn't get your item or you couldn't find the item in the store. So they would get that kind of trip. But another um, another facet of that is more around when consumers would face those out of stocks, several things would happen, right? So you actually had 34% of consumers that went elsewhere, right? They might go to a physical store, they might go online, but 50%, 50% of shoppers, when they couldn't find the product, it was a lost opportunity. They just couldn't buy it anywhere. It wasn't able to be found. And Korean, I know that there's just that nobody likes to miss an opportunity, but um, what are retailers doing to try and minimize the out of stocks going forward? 
That's a great point, Sally. <clears throat> the fact that 50% of consumers said when they couldn't find the product in store, they just didn't buy it and was a lost opportunity. The really interesting uh, way we saw that manifest, one of the really interesting way, way we saw that manifest at retailers was uh, merchants and category managers who typically never cared or asked questions about product availability on shelf and asked uh, for information about supply chain metrics suddenly have started asking because they finally realized you can have the best strategy and, you know, and the best promotion, but if you don't have the product on shelf, it doesn't matter. And for the most part, you know, many merchants never really cared about that because they thought it was the supply chain team's uh, area. But now, because they've recognized the impact of not having product on shelf, you know, accentuated by COVID, there's a lot more focus by merchants and merchant organizations and category managers to understand supply chain metrics like what's in stock, what is my service level or, or, or on things like that. So that's one of the big things we saw. And I think for CPGs, what that means is be prepared to talk about you know, product allocation and ensuring product availability on shelf, not just I have a great product and here the shoppers it'll, it'll bring into your store. Um, in a couple of the other things, you know, you talked a little bit about this, Sally, but we saw different channels experiencing the spike at different times, right? So grocery, mass and club saw the early run on products. And then as things started to run out and as people started to, you know, get comfortable going out, you know, they shopped at drug or dollar or C store. And now we're seeing dollar uh, growing really strongly as we're in the recession. The other really interesting thing is there were regional variances through this, right? So COVID hit us on the West Coast. So the West Coast retailers really saw the first impact and had more time to react and 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 work on getting more product allocation before it hit the East Coast. So they had a bit of an inherent advantage. So one thing that I think is pretty interesting that I kind of want to take a step back on is that, you know, the reason that some of these channels were doing so well is because people wanted to do like a one-stop shop. You know, we know that people are making fewer trips to the store, but their basket size is much bigger when they do go. And, you know, so certainly grocery and club are really, that's part of where they're thriving. But I was kind of fascinated about dollar, the dollar channel, you know, and granted, Corinne, you just said it, we're, we're in a recession now. So that traffic is going to tick up. But what we've noticed, like since the last recession, is that there's been so much investment in the dollar channel and building out new stores. And more recently, now we see fresh produce and things. So it, it actually makes it to me, it feels like a stronger competitor to some of these traditional retail channels and that's going to be kind of a game changer too. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the dollar channel, uh, as a result of COVID, um, they made you know near short-term changes to their assortment to meet some of the broader needs of shoppers. The other thing that the dollar channel and some of the mass retailers really benefit from benefited from is the um, is the check from the government, right? Um, the CARES check. And I was talking to a client uh, of mine in the dollar channel, and they've seen a huge spike in discretionary spending, not just food and beverage, right? Consumers have spent their money on discretionary products, be it electronics or 
clothing and apparel. And, you know, he was almost commenting that it's scary how to see just consumers just spending all the money they're getting right away. So they saw a huge boost, not just to food and beverage products, which they are shifted their assortment to try and accommodate more of that, but even on the discretionary side, which is where a lot more of the money is made, right? It was more profitable. Well, and I'll tag on to that because um, there was a recent ad by a dollar retailer, and I believe that the front page was something like get in, get out, done, something like that. And they are really touting that you can get you can get everything you need right here, one stop shop, um, which is one of the call to actions that we had in the webinar was around look, there is no question that these retailers, all of them, no matter what channel, were essential. The frontline workers that, you know, God bless them, that went to work every day and did the best that they could do. And, and it really was something that was critical during especially the stay at home. And um, I think one of the transformations, in addition to what we've already talked about, right, um, when you think about You've got the omni-channel that is really, truly omni now, and, and you've got the brick and mortar and the click and collect, and then you've got, obviously, the things that are going on to make sure that the service levels are there. It's now time for retail to move from essential to experiential, because if they're really going to capture the consumer and try and continue this growth, they're going to have to make both the in-store and the online experience, one that is positive and fun and engaging. And if they do that, I truly believe we will continue to see the growth. Um, definitely not the 20% that we would have seen during COVID, but definitely right now we're still in double digit. We could easily be above, though, that 1% and 2% we were seeing pre-COVID. You know, I want to and I want to kind of tack on there and circle back to something that Korean said, and that was when he was mentioning when when you were mentioning like the out of stocks and stuff, and how this is kind of a game changer um, in how retailers think about assortment and stuff. We know that a lot of manufacturers are taking a very careful look at their portfolio, and they're deciding what to keep, what to kind of you know. Um, sunset, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, retailers are going to be rethinking their assortment. People are still going to be looking at some of those missing products on the shelves as out of stocks, even if they're really not anymore. So I think that that communication that you were talking about needs to go all the way through to the consumer. You know, they need to know what the expectation is going to be for availability. Um, and I think Shopping online can be a great way to communicate some of that. But as Sally said, in-store, and Corinne, you're a big fan of being in-store. You know how important that, that messaging is in-store. How are retailers or how can retailers and maybe their manufacturer partners kind of get ahead of that and start communicating now about some of the changes that are, are coming down the pike? Yeah, I think, you know, both of you made the point, right? I think retailers and, and, and CPGs alike are focusing on fewer SKUs out of necessity during COVID, but I think it does have a long-term impact, right? But this is where uh, where e-commerce and, and a, a more holistic omni-channel strategy can, can really help, right? So focusing on a few things in the, fewer things in the store, 
given also the need for widening aisles for social distancing, which a lot of retailers are doing, right? There's just physical constraints that are imposed as a result of the pandemic. But then supplementing and complementing that with uh, with a broader assortment online, right? So, you know, if we, we all talk about collaboration between retailers and manufacturers, if there was ever a time where that was important, it's now. Right. For both reach, because there's been a surge in new shoppers have tried new channels, new retailers, new brands. And it's a fantastic opportunity to try and keep many of them for the longer term, Sally, as you were saying, in order to drive the above one, two percent growth. But you cannot do that as an industry unless you're working together, not just about brick and mortar, but about online and holistically omnichannel. That's great. So you, you actually just mentioned another thing in talking about brands, and I'm wondering, you know, what your opinion is on store brands and where the opportunity is now, because we've talked about the dollar channel and how they are being far more competitive on pricing. We know that private label has lots of different tiers and lots of, you know, value propositions. Um, and maybe it's an even bigger opportunity if CPGs are kind of trimming their portfolio or retailers ha- are forced to kind of adopt endless aisles and keep the store shelves a little bit tighter, what do you think about private brands? Yeah, in the study, we broke down private brands into four tiers, uh, premium, natural and organic, mainstream, and value. Different retailers have their own brands that line up to these tiers, and some may only have a couple, uh, but others have all of them. Private brands have been growing and gaining share for a while, and COVID just gave that a boost. And with the recession underway, we expect to see continued growth and strength of private brands for the foreseeable future, right? We know from our weekly consumer surveys that shoppers are seeing price increases through COVID and have been responding with their wallets. 24% of shoppers say that they bought private label to, to save money. But we also know that shoppers are choosing private label not just to save money because in some cases they do like the product and often say it's equal if not better than a, than a national brand, right? Um, and we're all seeing, we're seeing this. So, Mainstream private label grew 81% through COVID. Other segments grew in single and single digits and double, uh, you know, low double digits. Grocery got a big boost in, for their private brands through COVID. And we are now seeing much stronger growth in the value tier because the dollar channel is doing well. So again, thinking back on what this means for CPG, right? CPG should expect a lot stronger competition from private label um, than ever before because many retailers have strong, inherently strong private brands and shoppers now in a constrained economy, right? With constrained wallets are likely to spend more. So it is ever more important to have a strong story on why you're, for CP branded CPGs on why your brand is relevant to the shoppers and why the retailer stands to lose if they don't have your product on shelf, be that in store or online, because they're going to use a potentially lose a whole segment of shoppers that would just take their money elsewhere. Yeah, I would only add one thing to that because that was really well said, Korean. Um, but it's really important for manufacturer or even agency um, audience members to remember that 
private brands, it's not a single brand. It's thousands of brands that support retailers' customer loyalty. So there is this call to action to find a win-win that's going to focus on growing the aisle, whether that's the virtual aisle or the in-store aisle with the right mix. Because when you can collaborate, as Korean was talking about, and drive differentiation with branded, and yet the retailer can have their private brands to drive differentiation and customer loyalty, by bringing those together, finding a way to make sure that you can bring clicks to the online and, and, and you get feet into the stores, then everybody wins. Yeah, excellent. Um, it is. I, I've heard so much, and this is one of those conversations where we could take any one of these singular topics and just keep going and going. Um, but we are going to wrap it up. And I just wanted to kind of collect some of the things that I've, I've heard today, and that is you know, that the adoption of e-commerce um, has been outpacing growth of in-store, even across different channels, and that this is going to be one of those behaviors that sticks with us um, as we kind of move into the next normal. Um, and we're going to be seeing a tremendous shift in-store, um, not only in terms of where shoppers are going, but what those stores are going to be looking like. You know, um, Green, you actually spoke about wider aisles, um, you know, maybe less assortment in store. So again, another reason to have that e-commerce endless aisle option. And then, of course, private brands, um, which I think is so fascinating. And I would love to actually hear more about those different tiers and how, how, those, how consumers view those different tiers. But we're going to be seeing a lot more growth and we're in a recession. So I think it'll be interesting, especially because so many retailers now aren't waiting for like the me too. You know, I've seen things like even um, plant-based meats and CBD products start emerging in um, private brands. So it's definitely something to watch. So with that, I would like to thank you both so much for your time and your, your thoughts on insights here and we'll look forward to speaking with you both again soon thanks john thank you john and sally it's been fun and listeners a reminder to please visit iriworldwide.com to download the charting the course for continued center store growth thank you for listening please visit iriworldwide.com to view the iri covid19 dashboard and insights portal where you'll have access to daily updates in-depth reports as well as observations and implications for the CPG retail industry. Please become a subscriber of IRI Growth Insights and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.